Welcome to the RLSS UK podcast channel. This is episode number eight. Uh, today's guest is Anne Chalmers, Chief Executive of the Child Bereavement UK uh, charity. Um, I'm going to talk to Anne in a bit about her journey to becoming Chief Exec and um, how things have, have, have been through the pandemic and hopefully what her hopes and aspirations are for the rest of this year when we start to uh, hopefully recover from this. Um, so hi Anne, thank you for joining hi. us. Um, so my first question is is um, just just to, to get us going and for the benefit of our members and the people that are listening to this podcast, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you ended up becoming the Chief Exec. Yeah, absolutely. So really pleased to, to take part in this. Um, I suppose I, you know, I've, I've ended up in a role which, yeah, is, is a far cry from anything I suppose I ever would have imagined um, when I set out in life. My chosen career was law. You can possibly hear from my accent that um, I was brought up and raised in Scotland. So my degree was in Scottish law, uh, but I met and married my husband and came south, we defected and came south of the border. So Scottish legal <laughs> system being different. I retrained as a chartered accountant and um, I think you know that that would have been sort of the path that I would have, have pursued um, and then over time I you know stopped work to have my family and sadly we had the experience um, I've had four sons and my third son died at birth and I suppose as a result of that I became involved in a world that I'd had no reason to really engage with much or, or think very much about before that point and I, you know, through another charity, you know, joined a, a peer support group um, and then over time I was asked sort of locally, I live in Surrey and I was asked to go into hospitals and begin to talk to professionals about the impact of this on parents so that they could learn um, how to sort of improve the care that they gave around the time of, of a baby's death. And I found myself, you know, being involved in something that felt infinitely more worthwhile than you know the work that I'd I'd done before um so over the years I've trained as as a counsellor I have a diploma a BACP accredited diploma in counselling and a diploma in bereavement counselling and sort of progressed that work and I led a, a group um, a peer support group for parents in in Surrey and, and was running training actually for professionals at that time and had made, and, and this will date me, but I'd made a video um, for some training around parents' experiences and was sending it to sort of eminent people in the field to ask for quotes for the box, as you did back in the olden days. And um, actually, this charity had recently started up. This is back in the, in the early to mid-1990s. And I'd written to the founder who came back to me saying, um, you know, just looking at the video you've produced just reminds me, you know, so strongly why it's so important, you know, that this charity's here. And I wonder if you would consider being involved in, in our work. And I suppose the rest is history. I joined the charity. Um, it was founded in 1994. I joined um, at the beginning of 1996. Um, and through that time, there was just the founder and our founder patron, and I think a part-time administrator. And then through that time, became involved in all aspects of the charity's work and, and um, eventually became CEO in 2003, 2004. And uh, that, that's where, where I've been ever since. 
Okay, that's great. So to give us a sense of the size and the scale of the organisation and, and what you're responsible for in terms of um, the general sort of vision and, and, and your objectives and how you impact on, um, on individuals and your beneficiaries. Yeah, well, I mean, what we exist to do as a charity is, is to support families and educate professionals in situations where babies or children, children of any age, that would include adult children, die, and, and that's from any cause, and also where children and young people up to the age of 25 are bereaved of someone important in their lives. And alongside the work that we do with families, that's always been underpinned by an ethos that, that for families to get the best possible care around the time of, of a bereavement, the professionals who come into contact with them, whether that's in health, social care, um, the emergency services, education, the voluntary sector, those professionals also need some support themselves to be able to engage in what, you know, understandably is a very difficult aspect of their work. And so that that's really the fundamental ethos of, of the charity and the, the you know what we we strive to achieve is the best possible care for families who find themselves in these most devastating of, of situations. And you know we're a charity we've we've in the last it's interesting thinking about what size of a charity we are because we're not the size that we were this time last year. Um, given the ravages of the of the the pandemic and that you know the the challenges that that has has given rise to you know not just I mean for twofold for us I suppose obviously given that our work involves loss and grief and bereavement and we're in a pandemic and obviously we've just passed the horrendous milestone of of a hundred thousand people having tragically died as a result of of COVID. Um, you know, that that's obviously had implications for our work, but at the same time as a charity, where in common with most other charities, we've been really compromised in our ability to generate income um, and are having to really challenge ourselves to be sustainable and, and to think about how we do um, the work that we need to do with far less in, in the way of, of resources. So last year, um, before this, um, and our, our, our accounting year that you know has ended you know we're a sort of yeah four and a half to five million pounds was our income um whereas this year it will be significantly less than mm -hmm. that um and you know we, as a result in order to cut our cloth accordingly we've had to make some very difficult decisions um and sort of realign things and you know in terms of staff and challenge ourselves to think how we can still provide what's needed for our beneficiaries um, with less resource. And and Anne, I hope you, hope you don't mind me digging into your how you've dealt with that on a personal level, because I know as a, as a chief exec, you 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 bear the responsibility of your team, and you also bear the responsibility of trying to run an organisation that still can deliver, um, you know, effective uh, services or whatever it is for for your beneficiaries. And and I, I don't I'd mind admitting, I, you know, it's been hard for me uh, on a personal level I, how, how, how have you managed and, and 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 do you think you're more resilient at the end of this or you, do you still have um, challenges that that um, that we we just have to put to bed and, and, and accept in the in the role yeah it's it's been you know an extraordinary time exactly as you say I think for all of us and I think as a CEO you're you're very conscious, you know, I mean, I have an incredibly sub been supported board of trustees, which 
um, without my board of trustees and without my senior management team, I don't think I would have got through this. But, you know, there is a loneliness to this role at the same time um, where perhaps not every concern, not every worry is, is appropriate to share with people. So I think, you know, there have been I always work hard, but my goodness, I've never worked so hard as I, as I have um, since last March when we went in into the first lockdown. Um, you know that I've been very conscious of the hours um, that I've spent. I feel quite hypocritical at times. I do a lot of work with professionals. I've been running webinars today, talking to people about how to maintain your resilience and well-being <laughs> in the face of, of what's going on at the moment. And I'm great on the theory. I'm maybe just not, not quite so good at applying it to myself. But I, I definitely think, you know, there's there's been, you know, I do I do think I, you know, I protect and I try to sort of nurture the resilience that I've got. That That's very important to me. And. I know it's it's what sort of stands me in in good stead, and I think it's it's been you know really important for me to think about you know just maintaining that balance. I think it helps hugely that I love what I do. Um, I think perversely, <laughs> I really love a challenge, and my goodness, have I <laughs> have I had a challenge to deal with? But I find that quite energizing, you know, trying to think around that. Um, so, you know, that's just me as a personality. I, I think um, th that aspect of it. But, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit I've shed many tears as well because it's been really difficult. And particularly, um, you know, looking at having to make cuts in staffing has, has, has been so hard. Um, you know, we've been an organization of about you know we were just over 100 people before the pandemic and we're now about 70 um, and you know some of that people have, have decided to go or, to, or decided they were going to retire anyway so they will but others you know we have had you know to to make cuts in in staff and I think on a team that size you know people aren't AB123 on a payroll to me I know these people. I've, I've chosen them to work for us because they are so good. And and the sadness of having to let good people go simply because you don't have the resources to keep them, you know, has has been incredibly difficult. And then getting to that place now that that we are at a size that that we can manage. But of course, the the next challenge, you know, having cut our cloth according to our means, and you know, getting to a place where we've we've got the people um, and the resources match, it's now matching the, the people that we've got with the demand that we've got. And now thinking, you know, in a different way about how do we deliver our services. And obviously we mobilized everything to virtual delivery. We did a huge, you know, most of our work was face-to-face, -face, very relationship-based. And I think, you know, that taking the staff through that sort of enforced change has also been, been difficult, you know, people by and large don't really like change and albeit that we work in you know a, a part of the sector where you know the families we're dealing with are actually facing the most cruel enforced change in their lives and we're helping them through that and it's just a it's a really interesting you know sort of dynamic when you think about changing the way people work they work with change all the time but actually change is every bit as hard for them in the work um, setting as as it is for anyone so um, you know I think it's that that's been really tough I think for all of us but we've communicated more than we ever have um, with each other 
Um, and I, I think, you know, checking in on people, particularly for our practitioners, I think the people on the front line, it's been hard because, of course, we're all working remotely. And whereas before, you know, the sport's confidential, but, you know, someone would would just be able to see by someone's body language that they'd taken a really difficult call. There, there's no one, you know, sitting across from you to say, come on, that sounded really tough. Let's go and put the kettle on and take five minutes. People are on their own with this helping families at home um, and, and find you know that that's been something that's been really um, challenging I think for the staff to, to get to grips with and, and you know I'm incredibly proud of the team and the way that they have adapted to the challenge and are still you know providing the most brilliant support to families. Thank you and, 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 and I think the key thing is to try and take as many positives out of the current situation as, as we can and I just wonder from from your perspective, have, have you discovered something inside you that you weren't aware of before and, and, and have you taken any any positives out of this in terms of the way you you manage a team and your leadership skills and, and things that you, you've been forced to learn quite quickly and maybe adapt to? Yeah, I think, I mean, I suppose in, in this role, there are always times where you've had to think on your feet, but, you know, this has been a real exercise in rolling with the punches. <laughs> you know, it really is. And, and never quite knowing what direction they're coming from or how forceful they're going to be. Um, and, you know, that has been um, that's where I've really had to draw on, on, I suppose, resources that I maybe didn't even realise myself that I had. Um, and I suppose the fact that I'm still sat here, I've, I must I've found them somewhere. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, that's been important. The other thing that I've I've actually got better at doing, um, and again, I've always known the importance of it, and I talk about it a lot in our work, but is actually setting boundaries and, and having set up camp at home. Um, you know, I, I would always, you know, there were times I would work on weekends, work on uh, evenings and things. I'm really trying to hold the boundaries now. When I walk out this room on a Friday night, I shut the door. And, you know, I desperately try not to come in until a Monday morning. Um, and, you know, really, I, even though we can't really do anything, <laughs> I really value um, my weekends. I think I, I've got better at looking after myself, um, you know, despite having come through, you know, the, what's been an inordinately difficult time and yeah. has definitely, you know, taken its toll. I think I've been, you know, gone through periods of serious sleep deprivation and things, but um you know having come through that thinking that's not sustainable and and we're you know we don't know how long we're in this for or in the you know the the sort of impact of this is, is likely to have you know a very long tail so I think you know sort of yeah safeguarding yourself is really important and I think I've got a bit better at that right that's really important and um yeah I completely echo everything you you, you said and and um there's been some dark days, I suppose, for everybody, and 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 um, you know, in in a funny kind of way, I think I'm I'm kind of thankful that I've gone through this because I think it makes you stronger as an individual. It certainly has improved my leadership skills and made me test myself more than any other uh, challenge I've ever faced in my life. So it's and you know and and. Hopefully one day we will come out of this and, and things will get back to relative normality. In terms of your organisation then, so cast your mind back to sort of February, January, February 2020. Yeah. What were you doing and delivering that you've had to reinvent and 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 move 
in a completely different direction that that you've had to um, respond to, given the fact that we're now home working and social distancing and and offices are closed, but you still have a real passion to be able to support families and, yeah. and, and do the work that you wanted to do prior to the pandemic. So how, how is what's that change manifested itself into? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed. We were very much on a, you know, strategy for growth on a growth trajectory and, you know, planning where the gaps were, you know, looking at how we, we filled those gaps, looking at how to collaborate, you know, with, with other organisations so that, that people didn't fall through those, those gaps because so often people don't know where to go for support, you know, when they experience a bereavement. And and it was all about pushing forward and, and growing and everybody was on that that sort of happy journey. And it kind of stopped us in, in our tracks and we knew that the need didn't change and we knew, if anything, the need was going to get greater because you know what what we do is not sadly never going to go away but obviously in a pandemic um you know the need is inevitably going to be greater and we had to very quickly think about how do we still reach these families and and obviously everything had to had to go virtual was a it certainly expedited that you know in terms of our technological skills my goodness we've <laughs> we've gone forward but you know we have um you know that that was easier for some members of staff than others um, and one of the big things I think as well is it was in our professional training because, you know, all of that was face to face and it, it's now all gone online. But but what we did during the pandemic and particularly, um, you know, thinking about the, the calls that were coming into us, we had a huge number of teachers. We do a lot of work in schools, but teachers approaching us during the first lockdown um, very fearful and, and, you know, anticipating the fallout that they may well be dealing with when kids got to go back to school and so we felt what was really important and for our bit the bit that we could do was we just launched a, a series of free webinars and in something like you know probably less than two months I think we'd upwards of sort of 15, 16, 17,000 teachers go through um, you know those those webinars to, to equip them with some of the the basic knowledge skills um, and confidence, you know, to deal with with some of those issues. And that was that, you know, that was just we couldn't believe actually the numbers, but actually equally, we couldn't believe that we were actually doing that because, you know, we face to face, you know, the, the previous year, we'd, we'd reached, reached the dizzy heights of training 10,000 people. And there in a, you know, a few weeks, we'd done so much more. So, I, I think, you know, when you're talking about the learnings through this, I, I do think there are silver linings in this. And there are lots of things that that we've learned that we will keep. You know, we will absolutely have um, a blended offering of face to face and virtual support for families going forward, because, you know, that actually increases our, our reach. Um, our services that are dotted around the country, our physical services, they were never geographically bound in the way that, there was a catchment area. It was always if anyone could get themselves to one of our um, premises, of course, they could have the support. And then we offered sort of regular book telephone support to people who couldn't do that. But of course, it's much more accessible now, um, you know, what we do. So I think those, those sorts of things. And I, so I think having thought, oh, my goodness, that's stopped in our tracks. There's no way we're growing anymore. Um, we're getting to the point of thinking actually why why are we saying we can't grow anymore we can potentially reach many more families and many more professionals 
through doing things differently. And, you know, that that's great because that's that's what we want to do. The worst possible thing ever is to hear somebody say, um, I was desperate for support when this happened to me and I had no idea you were there, you know, and I think the more that, that um, you know, the technology and everything enables us to get out there to more people, then, you know, having felt like the pause button was pushed on us and it was by necessity for a while till we sort of got the house in order. Um, but, you know, there is still absolutely um, the potential to go forward and do more. And, and given, I'm conscious I don't want to get into a political debate, but given Given the fact that your organisations and similar organisations are are you know part of the the UK PLC strategy to get through this and get over this, how have you found support within external organisations, government, and and do do people understand that you are you know really critical and the fact that we've got this horrendous death rate that actually there's going to be a, a long curve of impact on a huge number of individuals. And, and again, organisations like yours and what you do is going to be critical to, to supporting this, this country going forward. Yeah, that's certainly been a, a big cause for concern because obviously there was emergency funding, you know, different things that became available early on. Uh, the Chancellor announced, you know, that money's, money would be available for charities. But actually, we in that first um, wave, we weren't seen as a frontline service. Um, I think, you know, people were focusing on things right, absolutely rightly, things like food poverty, things like domestic violence and the NHS and those needs. And I mean, those are causes that I happily gave to myself. So I totally, totally get it. And we weren't really seen as that emergency service. And, and I find myself saying in, you know, many many times yes but this you know people talk about long covid which people talk about that you know in, in physiologically in terms of it but you know i do think this pandemic will have a very long um you know impact in a in a different way and you know my concern is that by the time and and things are people are obviously very focused now on the mental health impact of this which is is huge um and again it's Bereavement's a, a funny one um, in that, you know, as in strange to around that because it's not a mental illness. Um, but of course, it can cause and exacerbate um, mental health conditions. You know, and, and if people have pre-existing mental health conditions, it, it's made all the more complex for them. And so, you know, we ignore bereavement, I believe, you know, at, at our peril. But in the in terms of even the frontline mental health, it's not always necessarily thought of um, because, you know, grief is a it's a natural response to the, the most awful event. It's the event that feels totally abnormal. And so, you know, I think in our sector, we often we're always having to put up a really strong argument as to why um, we're important. And it's really important that we that we have that, you know, we we are able able to do that. But, you know, my fear through this was always, yeah, but by the, maybe by the time the penny drops that this is really important, all the funding is going to be gone, you know, and, and how do we, you know, how do we then manage that? So, you know, but we, we have the support of some great funders and there's no doubt there have been some funders who've been in, in, incredibly insightful and perceptive and, and do realise um, this. And, you know, we've been able to have those conversations about 
you know, actually just the impact of people being bereaved during this time. Um, and that's not in any hierarchical sense, uh, because regardless of the cause of death for anyone who dies during this time, they are grieving in a very, very different scenario. Um, you know, not being able to access those support networks, you know, because we're all in isolation or lockdown. You know, you, your friend can't just come round and sit down and have that cup of tea with you and put their arm around you. You know, even some of those basic things that, that we need are being denied to people. Um, and, you know, even more so that where people are dying in circumstances where family aren't able to be with them or to see them, saying goodbyes on iPads, all the sorts of things that, that we're hearing that I think are, are just likely to, you know, for some people potentially lead to really quite complex grief down the line. So, you know, there will no doubt be lots, you know, lots of work, really important that, that we're there to support those families in whatever way they need in the future. Yeah, you make a really, really salient point there. And, and, and I don't think from those that haven't gone through the experience of losing a loved one during this time, what what it must be like. And and, and it must be absolutely horrendous to, to be in a position where you can't say goodbye to somebody and, and, and you have to do it in such a strange and horrible way. Do, do you think that's changed your thinking on how you support individuals or is it is it is it the same kind of support that you always give but just being cognizant that the grief might be slight in it yeah. whether it's anger at the government or whether it's anger at individuals the hospital I don't know the um, virus does it manifest itself in a slightly different way because of these unique circumstances um I think the circumstances are just a factor that that contribute to the uniqueness of anyone's grief. I think, you know, it's a strange paradox, you know, grief in a way is a, is a universal experience as very few of us get through life without experiencing it. But actually it's also, as well as being that universal experience, it's also a uniquely personal experience. And we know that the circumstances surrounding the death, you know, is a factor that, you know, just makes one person's bereavement different to the next. Um, but, you know, I'm a great believer in all of this. There isn't a better or worse. They're just different. Mm. Um, and we're very used to working with families to understand their bereavement from their perspective in their particular situation. And um, so that that doesn't change, um, you know, the way that we actually work. But the themes that are coming through from people, obviously, um, on calls to our helpline, people that accessing our live chat on our website and the families, you know, who are being referred for support and, and um, that our practitioners are working with. There are definitely common threads, you know, of factors that are arising during the pandemic that are different to ones that that we've seen before and and do you find 2020 and this lockdown different to the the first lockdown and and are your thoughts looking towards the vaccination and and life and business getting back to that growth area and, and opportunities to try and come out of this uh, as best we all can yeah I mean, it's interesting working in grief because, you know, through experiences of loss and and I think, you know, that there's all manner of different losses, not death related, you know, for most of us. But through the pandemic, um, you know, 
there is a sense that life is never going to quite be what it was before. And of course, that's that's what we hear from the families we work with all the time. That that's what they're living with um, in bereavement. And so I think we're we're very conscious of that sort of process um, that's happening. I mean, I certainly think, you know, there was something about the first lockdown. None of us had ever been in that situation before. We were all determined to make it work. We were, it really was a kind of, we're all in this together. We're all pulling together. Um, you know, I can see, you know, in our staff group, and I, you know, people are tired, you know, and we're still doing it. Nobody thought we'd be doing it for this length of time. So I think, you know, I mean, personally, for me in, in the first lockdown, I mean, I, my home is about 65 miles away from where my office is at the charity. Um, I spend lots of time on the M25. That's been a silver lining. I have not missed that one bit. And I've been very happy to give all that time that I would have spent sat on the world's biggest car park to, to the charity. Um, I don't miss that at all. But I think, you know, one of the things that I think helps us all through this, you know, as human beings, we, we need connection. That's what can help us, you know, in our well-being and our resilience and the isolation that we've, we've all um, experienced, um, some enforced, some, some not. But that lack of connection is really difficult. So I know you know, for a lot of people that they're, they're just craving being back in, in a room with, you know, some of their colleagues. But, you know, again, we're just being realistic about not knowing when that will be and actually not wanting to rush that until it's safe, both for the families that we work with and, and for our, our staff. And and at the point where potentially there is some returning back to how it was uh, before the pandemic, are there any things that you will keep? You talk about the fact that you, you know do you don't enjoy sitting in a car park on the M25 each way. Has it has it will it change long term the way you run the organisation and and yeah I th I think definitely I think you know remote working will will become um, a normality for a significant number of our staff. People have shown that they're very able. Um, to work from home and if, if for them that's a better lifestyle choice and we're able to give that flexibility in working whereas before we were kind of office fixated really <laughs> we were very much in there but of course you know also premises cost money and you know that's not necessarily the best use of, of our funds so you know all of that needs to be reappraised as well um, you know just thinking yeah how do we work most effectively you know do we need actual physical centers for everything or is there a way when face to face comes back that we can you know use space on an ad hoc basis when when we need it for for getting together um rather than permanently you know sort of keeping all those spaces so still lots to to think about but i think we will definitely um that will we'll be keeping virtual ways of working we'll be keeping you know um sort of the option of people working much more flexibly I think than than we did before, which you know again has has got to be positive just for work life balance for people, really. Um, and that you know certainly I think at the start of the pandemic was something that went out the window for most of us. But it's quite nice to begin to be able to get some of that back now and think how some of that can be harnessed and kept for the future. Yeah, definitely. And 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 longer term, have have you? Have you changed your thinking, your strategy, or uh, is is 
is there are there are there positives that you can take out of this that you can that you can capture and i know you mentioned a few then but in terms of the longer um direction of the organization has it shifted or is it still how you envisaged or the next yeah, five ten years would be yeah overall what we're aiming to do is still the same we still know there are many many people in this country who aren't able to access the support that they need um when a child dies at any age or when children you know are bereaved as somebody important in their lives so we're still on a mission to plug those gaps i think the how is what may look different. So I think the what remains the same um, of, of what we're trying to achieve and, and to educate professionals in a way that enables them to feel confident and, and skilled in, in, in providing um, the best possible support to families. But I think the way that we do that, you know, the mechanisms by which we do that will definitely change. And certainly, you know, we immediately sort of at the, the beginning of, of the first lockdown, you know, sort of redrafted our strategy and it was very much a strategy for survival um, for the charity and, uh, you know, looking to making sure that we were sustainable and that we were here for the families who, who would need us, um, you know, over time. And I think now, you know, sort of with some of that being implemented, beginning to um, get ourselves, you know, to a place where we we have sadly had to make reductions in staff, but we've streamlined the organisation to fit with our resources. You know, now it's about certainly the very, you know, there's lots of concerns about the year ahead, um, you know, as we all look to when will we be able to have fundraising events again? You know, will we be able to, will there be a marathon in October as they're planning or, you know, all of these sort of things. Um, it almost feels like no sooner is the ink dry on a budget or on a some document that somebody writes than it's actually, <laughs> we need another version. So it's... Um, you know, there's there's lots of um, yeah shifting with that, but I think it's been one of the things I've I've felt most proud of really organisationally has been the the agility that we've been able to show really. I think I think that's that's been a strength and the way that people have pulled together to make that um, you know a possibility. And I think my goodness, we're going to need to draw on that for, for a lot longer going <laughs> forward. Yeah, I I. I often empathise with our financial director who, who's probably got more re-forecasts, more cash flow forecasts than, than uh, you can right. ever imagine. And, and you get to the point where you're absolutely drowning in numbers and, and probably yeah. with your financial background, you understand exactly how challenging that can be because it's just almost impossible to predict what's going to happen next. And, and we are living almost yeah. hand to mouth day by day waiting for the government to to make some announcement about how things are going to look and what's going to be different next week so it is and, and I think you know even you know people who've supported us you know they have their own challenges with what's happening with their jobs their businesses you know their their life um and you know we're really mindful of that as well so it's very very difficult to plan with any any certainty I think you know at all I, I think yeah. certainty isn't isn't a word that I think I've uttered very often <laughs> unless it had an un in front of it but it's you know I think that's been um it, it's very difficult to plan um but I think you know having things like that and although I do have a financial background I'm you know blessed with a, a brilliant <laughs> financial director you know who absolutely um you know has has really has his, his finger on the, the pulse of where we are money wise so you know all of that feels um robust so 
so we don't have surprises. I think that's what what matters. It doesn't mean that the, the picture is necessarily very rosy, but but we know that. And it was one of the things right at the beginning. You know, we really, um, you know, when I was talking to other peers and, uh, you know, and other organisations who who were saying, well, we're doing a bit of, you know, scenario planning, beginning to think what this might look like. We'd already you know scoped out the worst case scenario and 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 different variations of it and and knew what we needed to do and we're able to start getting that in train so i think you know that's that's been important um it's just yeah it, you know it takes a lot it has taken a lot of energy and i think it, it would just be nice to think there might be sort of greener pastures ahead where we'll all get a bit of respite <laughs> I, I i remember when we first met oh gosh over over a year ago in london and we sat down and and, and one of the things i was very keen to do was to work uh, in partnership with with your organization yeah. to support um some of our members some of our supporters who unfortunately mm -hmm. have gone through um child bereavement and 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 and, and the and the loss of a, of a family member and 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 Having met and discussed that situation with a few of them, I could understand that we we probably needed to do a little bit more in terms of trying to help them overcome um, their emotional challenges. So it was really great to meet you and to and to start that journey. I, I suppose there are a number of people that unfortunately have lost their lives to drowning, but also there are now a number of people that will have lost a family member and a loved one to COVID. And and I suppose what would you say to them to encourage them to i don't know visit your website pick up the phone how how can we encourage them to reach out to you and 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 really um get hold of your expertise and help with their with their journey yeah i mean i you know we absolutely are here i think you know what we offer is is very practical um you know practical and emotional bereavement support very sort of holistic support looking at you know very individualized to you know those individuals that those families and those individuals within those families who may also be experiencing their grief in in very different different ways and you know to say to people there there is no time limit it's never too soon it's never too late it's it's when they feel able to um access that that support because for all manner of reasons you know I mean, I think we've seen a lot of it during the pandemic. You know, um, there's been a lot of people just almost having to kind of grit their teeth and get on with it. There's been a bit of a sort of siege feeling to this that we, we just have to get through this. And actually, you know, when the time comes when people maybe are able to um, give some time to to looking at, at the impact of the, on them emotionally and seeking some support for that, um, you know, we absolutely are there. For that so I you know I would really encourage people to have a look at the website we've got lots of things on there that could be generally useful you know why men and women perhaps react differently in grief what children understand about grief if you happen to have you know what about supporting a child in the family who has, has special educational needs or is on the autism spectrum um, how to look after yourself when you're grieving there's a lot that isn't necessarily even you know specifically child focused or exclusively child focused that would help people short guidance films that they can watch in a, in a, a couple of minutes that would um you know help 
them with that. And actually, we just yesterday launched a, an animation of something that's called the invisible suitcase, which is a metaphor for, you know, the experiences we have through life and how we deal with them. And I'd really encourage people just to have a look at that on the, the homepage of our, our website, because it makes a lot of sense. We're having tremendous feedback on it already. It makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. And I think you know, normalises and validates what people are feeling. I think we often judge our feelings in grief and particularly over time, people think, well, I shouldn't feel like this by now or I should be over this by now. There is no getting over it. What we hope for the best is that people can learn to live with it, you know, that what has happened. And, you know, we are there to help people, you know, find a way to do that. OK, that that's wonderful, Anne, and, and I shall be uh, be tracking down the invisible suitcase sounds really interesting and, and uh, something that I'd like to have a look at and, and and I think when we when we post this podcast we'll obviously put on all of your contact details the website uh, helpline etc so that if anybody Fantastic. is listening to this and they then they do want to uh, uh, get, in, get in touch then um, we'll certainly encourage them to do so and, and and certainly put you in in contact with them and give them the support that they deserve so thank you I'd just one final question and then um, and then I think we'll 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 wrap it up if I may and I, I want to try and think about you know what uh, a positive so what's what's what is and what was the best thing about being the chief executive of child bereavement UK I, I honestly think that the, yeah the the best thing and, and it's incredibly humbling but is to hear from families the difference that it's made being able to access some support and, you know, make no mistake, they're the ones who do the work. <laughs> they absolutely work, you know, through their grief um, on their own timescales in their own way. But, you know, for the tremendous families we support, I always say, you know, they are the, the most wonderful people that I genuinely wish we'd never had to meet because of the reasons that, that we come into contact with them. And the worst thing, I, it's hard to think. I don't know that there is a worst, but I suppose the worst would just be the inevitable sort of funding thing. The worst thing would be if for want of, of you know, financial support, we weren't able to do what we yeah. want, want to do. That That's always the, the saddest bit, I think. Um, and that's true for all all charities and, you know, the great work that that they do. But yeah, okay. other than that, there isn't a worse bit. Well, well, let, let's hope anybody who's listening to this um, can can reach out and, and help, you know, with fundraising or donations or whatever, because um, what you do is 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 incredibly important and, and so incredibly important, given what we're uh, going through and 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 the the challenges that we still face ahead because you know unfortunately we're still going to see the death rate increase and we're a long way from from ending that so um so yeah all, all anybody like I said anybody who's listening um find out about Child Bereavement UK and, and support them in any way you can and that just leaves me to say thank you Anne it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and and um some really insightful things about your organization and what you've gone through and I, and I really do thank you for sharing that I know it's, it, it, it has been difficult but also the positivity and the fact that um, you know you, you are there and you are still doing what you're doing still your purpose is so important and um, and what you said about the best bit of being chief exec is absolutely spot on you know you, you do it 
because of that sense of purpose of what your organization does for other people and that's such a wonderful gift so thank you um it's just left for me to say to everyone thank you for listening uh, remember that all our podcasts are available on our podcast channel and they're available through apple spotify and google uh, if you're not already, uh, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and uh, we'll keep you up to date about when the next episode of the podcast will be. The next one, um, I've got the pleasure of speaking to Jed Flynn, who's the Chief Executive for Pyrus, uh, Prevention of Young Suicide. So that's going to be a fascinating conversation as well, because I guess like Anne, uh, he's gone through a lot of challenges at a time where uh, their organisations are never more needed. So please look out for that. And uh, thank you very much and goodbye.